I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the School for Dumb Women. We're pleased to announce that this episode is twinned with our own Alexandra Haddo to commemorate the fact that both are turning 30. So we're going to settle down with the next men's podcast we see and make little podcast babies. Only joking, we're still making shit jokes about men and feminism. I'm your host woman, respecting dicks at 26, Hannah Varrell. With me is feeling fine and holding on to 29, Alexandra Haddo. Regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. And looks like heaven at 27, Caroline O'Donoghue. Hi, Hannah. I'm so young that I don't need this podcast to showcase my vocal talent. I could still get picked up at any time. Me, me, me. Today we're learning about the moon, true crime, and smelling salts. All things we're pretty sure could poison us horribly, given half the chance. And the moon is waiting for that chance. Let's get started. So, Caroline, you've been pulling your pants down and showing me your bum since we came into here. What's mm, that about? I have, yes. It's a celebration of both my remarkably toned bum. I've gone back to yoga, everyone. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I've been studying the moon. Oh, the, uh, the ever-changeable moon. <laughs> yeah. No, I figure the uh, the moon is sort of like the Elton John of the solar system. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It's shiny, indestructible. It's been there forever. And it has so much more of an effect on how we live than we realise. <laughs> and it always wears those purple glasses. <laughs> Even when it's indoors. Yeah. And the moon is totally gay. Huh? The moon is totally gay. Like, this is actually why I like the moon so much. Because it's like, it's like the opposite of the straight white man of the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the uh, like straight white men always sort of fighting to get on it. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It's weird because like in every culture, um, there's like seems to be a story about the sun and the moon, and it's like anthropologically it goes back to the same thing, which is like the sun is like the father, and uh he's like constant and he like he provides all his energy to sort of feed us all and everything, but the moon is like changeable and beautiful and strange <laughs> and it drives you mad. And it <laughs> dictates Easter, I and believe. <laughs> Why does it dictate Easter? I don't know, but it's something to do with why we have Easter on a different day every year. It's to do with the moon. It's on the same day, but it's at different weeks of the year, isn't it? Sorry, date. That's what I mean. No, I think that's to do with summer solstice. (laughs) We need to do an Easter episode, guys. I have no fucking clue what Easter is. (laughs) Can we? Yeah. Yeah, when Easter comes around. Whenever that is. All right. (laughs) Gunther is so the moon of friends. He's so the moon of friends. And Rachel is just the ever-present sun. (gasps) And he sort of revolves around Rachel. She is. Right? And he looks like a moon as well. He does. Just a big, shiny, white, strange man. Um, On that point about revolving in things, the moon's quite weird because it's like, so obviously the earth revolves around the sun, but the moon kind of revolves around us. Or it's like our twin planet. Like it's sometimes referred to as our twin planet. It follows us around. We follow the sun around. And um, the moon, it takes a full month like something like 28 days or whatever to revolve around the earth and that's actually where we get the name month because it comes from moon <gasps> oh yeah a month a month <laughs> um, but like it is supposed to be sort of the earliest ever like intellectual thought comes from people looking at the moon because like um, like ancient stone tablets found in I'm going to say Mesopotamia oh, ah yes, yes the Mesops and uh, they have like early stone tablets where it was like uh, someone obviously who was trying to who was noticing the moon so they were drawing the shapes of the different crescents of the moon and then marking the days so that's like the first sort of like 
or a sign of early man having like this thought that's outside of like himself and his like everyday needs. Yeah. It's like wow. or herself because there's theories that those tablets were like a woman like trying to keep track of her own fertility. Which brings me on to why are women always linked with the moon? 28-day cycle, right? Yeah, that's the thing. It's the 28-day cycle. But how? which came first? The period of the moon? The moon. <laughs> the moon or the period? Well, I guess the moon's always been there, right? Do you the mean m- the moon or the egg? <laughs> ah. Ah. <laughs> the moonstrual cycle. The moonstrual cycle. Yeah, which is another reason why... Um, the moon and women are always so linked together because obviously a woman has a 28-day cycle, the moon has a 28-day cycle, and there are like loads of studies that are trying to prove and disprove that our menstrual cycles are actually um, attuned to what the moon is doing. Is it just coincidental? Is it like, oh, they both happen to be 28 days or is there an actual link? Like, is there actual causation between them? Or do we not know? Well, we don't. The thing is, it's it's really hard to tell. Like, there is a study. There has been a study on this that says um, it was of 826 women between age between 16 and 25. So, like, your most sort of fertile period. (laughs) And apparently, a disproportionately large amount of them occurred around the new moon. So, when everything's blank in the sky. So, 28% of them start of their period around the new moon. Oh. Which is a lot. That's a lot, right? And I always think, because, you know, the moon controls the tides as well, apparently. Yeah, that was my and then like, point. And then I think, like, crimson tide. <laughs> yeah. Do the, does the moon just drag the blood out of us? Oh. See, that's the thing. I was writing about this recently, and I was thinking, I was writing something about periods, and I was just thinking, like, I've read so many different things over the last few years, like written by like feminists and um, period sort of companies or whatever, saying like, "Oh, the your per- periods are cool. Periods show that girls are tough. Period. We're not afraid of blood. All this like all this marketing material around how periods are actually fine, and not gross. But like, let's face it, they are gross. Yeah. And the best ever PR guy is right there in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> it's never going to get cooler than that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, associated yeah. with the moon, not with like being your own woman. Yeah, right? It's like this beautiful, huge sphere in the sky that is impossible not to look at once you're looking at it. It's like so so beautiful. Like that's like the symbolum. Symbolum? I got symbolum. The symbolum of like the grossest thing that happens to anyone naturally. That's quite nice, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. I'd kind of rather have like a packet of tampons with the moon on it than like someone on a trampoline or whatever. Oh, always on a trampoline. But maybe they're on the trampoline trying to get closer to the moon. Oh, <laughs> Maybe. That makes complete sense now. Yes. <laughs> like some guy in a marketing meeting being like, no, no, we can't just put the moon. It's too obvious. We gotta get a woman trying to go to the moon. Are you crazy? <laughs> what do you want? You want the moon? Advertising one on one, you schmuck. <laughs> Has there ever been any woman on women on the moon? Well no, that's the famous thing with the moon, isn't it? They went once and didn't go back really. Didn't yeah. They? Only two people, right? Neil Armstrong and Buzz, Buzz, Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin. And also the third guy. Yuri Gagarin? Was there a third guy? Third guy. It's very sad, actually, because his name is Michael Collins. And Michael Collins is all, he's the third man on the moon. But he's also the name of a very, very, very famous Irish revolutionary. So he, <laughs> like, so they're, like, my Michael Collins is totally, his SEO is completely fucked up <laughs> by the, like, the moon's Michael Collins. So, yeah. so it's very annoying. Don't like that at all. Also, the whole conspiracy theory. Did you research that at all? Like, was there a moon landing? Was there? Well, I mean, the thing is, it's a conspiracy theory. So you could probably argue forever that uh, it did or didn't happen. Lots of people still do maintain that it did not happen. Why would um, they fake it, though? Why would they fake it? It's good well, PR, isn't it? It is. I mean, there, there's, lots we can of, do. there's lots of things because uh, people think that, like, oh, why are there ripples in the American flag yeah. in the in the photograph is one of the popular reasons why people think that yeah. it's conspiracy theory and they didn't actually go there. Um but actually like there is gravity on the moon, it's just less than on Earth. So there is still stuff like moving around. It's just like moves in a different way. Mm. Um but when you say why would they fake that? Well there's actually loads of reasons why they would fake that because uh obviously after the Cold War there was the space race between Russia and America where both of them were essentially trying to prove which one was the bigger like not just like a technical military superpower but like intellectual superpower who was creating the better art who had more basically who had a bigger stake in the the world's future yeah and so the moon landings became like this this sort of race between America and Russia. And no matter what we do, it just comes down to two men trying to see who's got the biggest dick. Yeah, definitely. that's exactly it. But there are many people who think that, like, the, you know, because Kennedy said, oh, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of some year in the 60s. Mm. Um, they say that, that that sort of whole operation 
hugely expensive as it was. And that's why we haven't really sent people back is because it's incredibly expensive and took years to fund. Um, was because it actually, in its own way, sa- could have saved thousands of lives because it sort of pacified these international relations. It al- it's almost like giving two children a board game on a rainy day. Like, <laughs> really? To stop them from fighting. Like, that's what it was. It was like, they... they there was a moon landing because there was no World War Three. You know oh, what I mean? Oh God! Because that's how like. And when they and when the Americans landed on the moon, were the Russians just like, oh, okay? Oh, we lost. Fine. I don't know. I didn't. I <laughs> Good didn't, on them. I, I didn't look in too deeply into the whole space race thing because honestly, it's a whole episode by itself. Yeah. Um, but kind of, yeah. <laughs> I think they just went like, all right, they won, I guess. Um. So, who do you think, or when do you think, we saw the moon first? Who discovered the moon? Egypt. Surely, just the first people to yeah, be alive. Yeah, first people who looked up. Yeah, but like, looked um, up into the... Galileo was the first person to see the moon properly. So everyone just thought it was like a big fucking Alka-Seltzer in the sky, and uh, he looked up and uh, like with a telescope because he invented the telescope, ah. and he saw that actually it has a landscape. It has crevices and depressions and sort of like oh, wow. It actually, yeah, he's the first person to actually like have a good proper gawk at what was going on up there, and then for years and years afterwards, there was like the dawn of scientific thought obviously and people uh, debating where it actually came from and there's been so many theories that have like come and gone during the years like what how, where do you think the moon came from what is the moon well the sun's pulled by a chariot and, uh, <laughs> the moon is pulled by a, a donkey a silver horse <laughs> isn't it a piece of rock that was probably brought in by a gravitational pull and well then... that so there's the hypothesis of the moment is called the giant impact hypothesis which is that the moon was created out of some debris from a collision between the young Earth, the young <gasps> ah. sexy Earth, and a sort of um, a s- small Mars-sized protoplanet, and then the debris then became the, the moon. Ah. But like for years and years and years, what you just said, which was that the Earth captured the moon, <laughs> um, as in like pulled it, pulled this asteroid into our gravitational pull, that was the dominant theory. But that's just been essentially erased now. It's like no, that wasn't real. Oh. Now it's this new thing. It so, makes, I mean, the new thing makes much more sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. But like, there's still so many weird mysteries around it. Like, um, like it controls the tides, right? Do yeah. you know why that is? Because of its gravitational pull? Yeah. So basically, when the Earth, where the Earth is facing the moon the most, essentially it like pulls up the water, like it creates like a big bump in the water. That is mad. That just isn't like it? just ripples all over the world and becomes the tide. Like that's a huge simplification, but essentially it's that. It pulls the water upwards and tides happen. <laughs> Cool, right? And why yeah. do other things not get pulled towards it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why indeed? I don't know. Good point. Why also, are we not all a bit floaty whenever the moon is here at night? <laughs> yeah, well, I always think that, like, maybe it's totally in my head, but I think that I, I can never sleep properly around a full moon. Like, it, that's why um, the Latin word for moon is luna and lunatic, because it's like full moons are supposed to moonstruck, oh, yeah. uh, wow. strike people and make them a bit dazzled. Like there's and like this, werewolves um, and everything. Werewolves, yeah. And there's uh, this thing in Japan where like when the earth, the moon is in the middle of its cycle and when it's at its biggest, it's called the um, the pig moon because all the pigs would just become moonstruck and start like squealing in the night. Like Aww. really quite cute, isn't it? Yeah. Because the really? moonlight would just like literally send them a bit mad. And like the kind of the power of moonlight has been always present throughout the history of humanity because it was the only time people could like go outside. Like the, like the hunter's moon is called a hunter's moon because you could hunt for longer because you had the light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we kind of never really thought about that. Like you couldn't, the years and years and years when you couldn't go outside unless like it was that time of the month where the moon was out. Like it's mad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's really calming as well, isn't it? The moon. Yeah. Don't know why. There's this artist, I can't I can't remember his name right now, um, but the BBC Seriously podcast has just done a very good podcast on him. Um, and he essentially created this art installation that was like um, being in a full moon, but you're in a room. Uh, so it's basically this big balloon that is decorated like the moon and lit from within. But the people who go and see this exhibition, they get so, they completely change. Like they... Um, get really like emotional some of them they like some of them just stand in there for like hours holding their partner's hand and just whispering like it has this really profound effect on people wow. I think yeah the the emotional power of the moon is yet to be fully understood <laughs> um, a really really good app that I very enjoy it's uh, probably the only app on my phone apart from like Facebook Messenger that I allow push notifications on is from the Moon app. <laughs> and whoever runs the Moon app essentially tells you what the Moon is up to right now. Like what's the cloud coverage, what kind of a crescent it's on. Oh, and that's but it's, good. It sends you these weird notifications. Like one time I got a notification from it saying, 
I'm going to do it. And it was before the moon was about to go full. <laughs> it was like literally an app written by Hannah Varel. It's the same <laughs> level of very dry, strange humour. <laughs> Hannah, are you moonlighting as the moon expert? Yeah. Oh, maybe. The Google Calendar invites have been sent and most of our attendees would rather be somewhere else. That's right. It's time for our Women Who Code Mixer. Siri, would you like to come to this week's Women Who Code Mixer? I have everything I need already. Oh, rude. That's not true. We have free wine at the mixer and lots of information. I'm not sure I understand. (sighs) That's meant for you. (laughs) They don't understand Women Who Code. Get out, Siri. liked Siri anyway. I'm a Samsung girl, so I like my digital assistants to be nameless and mostly useless too. Anyway, today in our Women Who Code Mixer, we're going to learn all about voice recognition. When do you think uh, voice recognition was first invented? Oh, like uh, in like an 80s movie for the villain's house? (laughs) I was going to say the 80s, yeah. Or no, the 70s, I imagine it got invented and then the 80s started making its way into villain's houses. I'm going to surprise you. (gasps) It's the 50s, isn't it? It was the 50s. Wow. wow! 1952. Shit. Was that just like people answering their door, though, because they knew ho- whose voice it was? <laughs> oh, come in, Ma! <laughs> it was called the Audrey System. It was designed by Bell Laboratories, um, and it could only understand digits because it makes sense that you'd be like, well, language is like limitless, but I could do one to ten. Yeah. So it could recognise these numbers spoken by a single voice, so just one person's voice. And then 10 years later, IBM demonstrated a machine called Shoebox, which could understand English words, 16 of them. Oh. Yeah. Which, which is, ones? Uh, oh, I don't know, actually. Um, Help, stop, more, less, <laughs> in, out, up, down. How are you? <laughs> This is fascinating insight into the mind yeah. of Alexandra Adams. Up, down, less, more. <laughs> That's all we need, actually. If you only knew those four words in English, you could probably have an entire career in marketing. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah. Less, that, <laughs> more, that. God, he's a genius. <laughs> yeah, so I was actually really impressed by that, that in the you know 1950s and 60s, people were developing voice recognition yeah. software mm. that could recognise voices. Very clever. Uh, And then in the 70s, it progressed a lot more because the US Department of Defense uh, invested in it. Oh, yeah, they would, wouldn't they? And they made a machine called Harpy, which could understand 1,011 words, which is about how many words a three-year-old knows. Oh, why was it called Harpy? Was it because it plucked the eyes out of your skull while screaming (laughs) into the desert sky? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe it was just I was like, you old Harpy, you keep talking to me. Oh, I just want yes. to eat my dinner. Yes, women's voices. Yes, hashtag. Mm. hashtag yeah. Women's voices. Uh, Harpy voices. So those kind of generally used sound patterns would turn your voice into a digital wave and then look at the wave and be like, oh, you've got an S and a T and a O and a P. Oh, and, then and that- that's probably stop. And then in the 1980s, uh, there started to be programs which would think about the probability of um, sounds that it can't decipher being certain words. So if you said stop sign and it didn't know what sign was, it might sort of guess that it was sign anyway because that's a thing that comes with stop. Ah. Oh, which also kind of explains predictive text and how that works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And these days, voice recognition is really, really good because it uses deep learning and it uses the cloud. Mm. So... Everyone who uses a voice recognition thing, for example, you know, Siri or Alexa or something like that, the information that the program learns from what you've asked it will be, you know, uploaded into the cloud. And then it will just be it's basically a huge database of everything anyone's ever said to it, as far as I can tell. Mm. And it will use all of that to analyze what it's most likely you're saying. Oh, I see. So if it kind of has a sentence, but one word doesn't really make sense within the sentence Mm. and it sounds like something else, then it will kind of put that in and be like, I think this is what she's saying. Right, which is why it can be so frustrating, especially if you have an accent. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I was going to say, surely the worst voice recognition of our whole entire lives was when you were about... 13, 14, and you had to do that voice recognition thing on the phone to book cinema tickets. Oh, my God, yes. And it'd be like, which cinema are you looking for? And you'd have to be like, Kettering. 
Did you mean Carlisle? <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, Which guys. cinema? Ah! It really is one of those technologies that while it's still maturing, it's the most annoying thing ever. But now it's gotten fairly good. Like yeah. I, I was on the, um, the tax office hotline or whatever the fuck uh, the other day yeah, and it was you. like... Yeah, please say blah, blah. And it got it like immediately. It was almost to the speed of having a real conversation. Like almost. It was still a pain in the ass, but it was like almost there. <gasps> They're taking over. And of course, the Google Home and the Amazon Alexa are always listening because they need to listen to you saying, OK, Google or hey, Alexa. Mm. Um, and so they need to be listening all the time. Oh, I don't oh, like it. Oh, that's it now. fun, right? I feel weird now. Do you reckon it's all a big, you know, we know that machines are going to kill us now, but no one's actually looked up what Siri means, and it probably means it's like the god of mass death. <laughs> Siri, what does Siri mean? Siri says, oh, Siri means butterflies. And then you go back to sleep. <laughs> so, Alex, you look like you need to sit down after the last section. Can I fetch you anything? Opium? A spoon of velvet? Ah, yes, please. And while you're at it, could you bring my section, which is smelling salts? Ah. Thank you, Hannah. Smells like Victoria, Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know why I decided to do this? Because I was working at a magazine, um, as I always do, but different ones, uh, just before Christmas. And this guy said, "Um, do you want some smelling salts? And I was like... Are they still a thing? Oh, what, genuinely? It wasn't a yeah. joke? No, no, no. And I was like, I'm sure they can't actually do that much. And I didn't really think they were a real thing. I mean, I did, but I didn't think they really did anything. Mm. But they do actually bring you round. They were used, you know, um, to kind of sharpen you up uh, and to bring you back from the brink of fainting or if you needed, you know, to be alert. People did use them. Um, and they're a real thing, guys. Mm. And uh, you can still buy them today. Yeah, I think smelling salts I see is like um, snuff for ladies. Isn't yes. It? Yeah, and yeah. Like, I've actually, um, if John Underwood is listening, I know he does listen, he gave me snuff once. And uh, it's very like, it's like low grade cocaine. It's like a slight, slight buzz. Yeah. Is I, it? What is snuff? I think it's like a kind of a tobacco. I'm not really sure. Oh, yeah, okay. when I was at university, there was a big craze for a snuff. Really? And, um, yeah, and you just sort of like go around sniffing this stuff every so often. And it was just, it was a bit like having a cigarette or something yeah yeah but a bit mintier a bit more mentholy yeah yeah and then in the morning you like blow your nose and you're like oh yeah that's horrible i didn't know that was a real thing either snuff all right so what does smelling salts smell like they smell like um they don't smell like this but they're in the same vicinity as like vix but they're not they're not quite as strong The, the main ingredient of smelling salts is ammonia Oh, I think my nan died of that. No, that's pneumonia. (laughs) This is ammonia. Oh, well, RIP anyway. Yeah. Isn't ammonia we? It is indeed, Hannah. And this is what led me today to Google, and thank God nobody could see my screen, could I just use we instead of smelling salts? <laughs> Could I just use we? <laughs> and there was this whole thread on this forum where this guy had written in being like, hey, um, seeing as the main ingredient of smelling salts is ammonia, um, could I use my cat's wee? Oh, cat wee is strong. I don't know, but everyone was like, dude, you're disgusting. Or like, just use the wee fresh. Don't rub it on anything, blah, blah, blah. And, but basically, it's total bullshit. How do you, you get need... your cat to piss into a bottle? With ve- a lot of difficulty and right. possibly some very specialist pants. But they actually cause a physical reaction, albeit very small, in that when you're feeling faint, as you know, we've discussed fainting previously on the podcast, your vagus nerve contracts and you can't get enough oxygen and then your body starts to shut down because it's trying to keep the vital things going and that's why you faint and black out. So smelling salts release ammonia. I mean, they're like little sort of crystal mm-hmm. rocks and stuff, but they're... That ammonia sort of is emitted from them. As we have done in the smelling episode ah, of yes. the podcast. How could a solid thing smell? I've literally just weaved together all of our previous work for smelling salts. Um, Weaving also very popular in the time of smelling salts. Ah, yes. <laughs> the weavers were bad for it. Um, yeah, the ammonia triggers an inhalation reflex. So your muscles work ah. faster. And okay. it's sort of, and it, I mean, that's a very, very simplified version of it, but it kind of reversed, that's why it reverses the uh, symptoms, I guess, the reaction of fainting. So it kind of, it brings you around a little bit more because it allows more oxygen into your body because you <gasps> breathe oh. in, you know, in a very, very simplified way there. But yeah. 
that's why it brings you around. And it was used a lot. Uh, what I mean, what do you think of? Um, maybe it was just me. When you think of smelling salts, who's using them? Delicate th- ladies. Yeah. yeah. I particularly think of that scene in Gone with the Wind. There's like this older, very easily shocked like widow. And she's like, oh, my smelling salts. Must be my smelling salts. <laughs> Every time she's shocked by anything. Yeah. Well, this yeah. is a massive thing. that, And I kind of, um, it is related, but I... You know, I was like, I'm always thinking of a Victorian woman being like, oh, bring bring her the smelling salts, mm-hmm. you know, bring her around or whatever. Um, and then I, you know, fell down this huge rabbit hole about Victorian women and why did they faint so much? Um, you know, it's all corsets, isn't it? It is, yeah. Corsets was a very practical uh, reason for it. The other thing that it was linked to was, you know, female hysteria, which we've talked about in a previous episode. Um, but interestingly, a- another thing that I found out about why women fainted so much in this sort of Victorian era was because swooning and being very delicate was seen as such a an attractive quality oh and also if they were fainting and swooning then they got to sit down in a chair and and have a rest and kind of have a rest from the corset so it was all linked so they sometimes Aww. used to sort of pretend to swoon and need their smelling salts and need to be brought round because they got to oh go and God. sit in a, ro- a room of their own, basically. Yeah. But also, then you get attention. Everyone yeah. has attention. <laughs> yeah, they were saying they were saying that as well. Like the doctor had to be called, and or the nurse, and they used to have to soothe them, and all God, this. They and weren't they, doing an awful lot for feminism back then, were they? Like they weren't, yeah. but they didn't have a lot to work with, you know. <laughs> so what can you do in the end? So when did smelling salts stop being a thing? Like when corsets went out of fashion, did smelling salts quickly fall out of fashion as well? I think so, pretty much, because then hysteria wasn't a thing anymore and and the diagnosis of it became very diversified. And Mm -hmm. also, smelling salts, like I say, they do work in a sense that they're not complete bullshit, but they're not really going to do that much for you if you're on the... I mean, if you're feeling a tiny bit lightheaded, they might help you out, but if you're about to faint, like you're going to faint. So I think as medicine progressed, everyone was like, yeah, they're... Mm. they're fine <laughs> like, they're kind of nice smelly crystals that might make you sniff something nice I mean there's lots of crystals that people sell that don't do anything at all so that's kind of not too bad yeah, I, well fine. that's why maybe they've come back in because people are really into crystals now aren't they mm, I've got one at home oh yeah it's an orange tipped calcite Ooh. oh and his name is Gavin <laughs> <laughs> hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So Hannah, you're suddenly in monochrome and interspersed with newspaper clippings and CCTV footage. Can you tell us what's going on? Well, it started on a dark and stormy night, Caroline. (laughs) Paperboy, paperboy here. Today's headlines. Gruesome death in the dumb women's school. Someone's going to be in the clink for this. Why? It's Hannah Varrell. <laughs> that nice young girl. They said the butler was due to retire <laughs> at the end of the month. Well, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, yeah. 
It's a good radio play there. Exciting drama to start the podcast with. Yes, I'm doing true crime this week. Oh, and I kind of picked it because like this is a huge trend, right? I mean,、mm. we've all seen Making a Murderer, which was out in 2015. <gasps>、yep. I can do a good impression of Stephen Avery. Wait a minute, actually.、Um, Ken Kratz, you know the horrible lawyer that everybody hated in it. Oh right, Stephen Avery took Teresa Halbach to see the entire works of Shakespeare, <laughs> but she still didn't die.、Oh. I've actually not seen the Kingmaker,、um, but、uh, oh. that was great. I love your impressions of anyone, even if I have no fucking clue who they are. But have you listened to Serial? I did listen to Serial. Yeah, like Serial is to podcasting what the Last Supper is to art, right? Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you know one, you know that one. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Yeah, so Serial obviously came out in 2014. If you've not listened to it, you need to go and listen to it after you've listened to all of the School for Dumb Women, correct? Obviously,、um, but it's been a trend for ages. Like,、uh, if you think about In Cold Blood, which was written by Truman Capote, Capote、mm-hmm. in 1966. Uh, Helter Skelter about the Manson murders in、yeah. the seventies,、uh, but even before that, like a good story is a good story, and yeah, I'm actually、know. reading my first ever Agatha Christie at the moment, which、Ooh. obviously isn't true crime, but it is like murder mystery, and I think it's sort of there's a straight line between one and the other. In that, like, it's just like, oh, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle involving people. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,、um, and I kind of thought, like, yeah, that would be an interesting thing to do because it's a massive trend.、Um, and like, why do we, why do we love it so much? And I was like, but, but, this will be cool and exciting and funny. And now I'm like. Devastated, and I never want to watch a true crime、oh, thing、no. again. I never want to listen to a true crime podcast again. It's just、okay. really horrible, and that's because I kind of got into the ethics of it. Oh, I see. But before you get into that, can I ask you one thing? Yes. As a podcast producer, have you been slightly resentful over the last year that we've been doing this podcast and podcasts with way less work into them that like are way less well produced than our true crime <laughs> podcast that's just some idiot fanning about on a Wikipedia page talking about someone who died gets more exposure? Yes, but that's why we're changing our name to the School for Dumb Murder. Women. <laughs>、oh. Ah, murder women. It's all about the SEO.、Mm. I died on stage last night. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Great.、Um, yeah, and it's easy as well to understand why people love them because it is like a horror story. It's like a kind of murder mystery, but it has that extra layer of interest because it's real, and so it's kind of like a morbid curiosity. It's like what、oh, it、could happen to any one of us, and the characters in it. Are relatable because you know they're going to the shops and they're you know calling their friends or whatever, and you're like, well, this really happened. I think there's like a really good and really horrible side to true crime, and the good side is, you know, it's a it's a if, if it's being featured on something, it's a brilliant brilliant story, and it's all true. Like you say, you, this is all stuff that actually happened. And the worst thing is that often there's not as succinct an ending as there is. In you know a fictional crime or whatever, like I think a lot of people that listen to Serial at the end,、mm. there's no real conclusion, and you're gripped to this thing for ten episodes or whatever it is, and then it's kind of like you still don't know whether、yeah. they did it or not. It's very frustrating, and same with Making a Murderer. You know, you're so absolutely hooked because you you're convinced because you're brought up on something that's usually a series that it's going to end with you know either he did it or he didn't. It's got to it. have a conclusion. Yeah. Normally, yeah. if you're watching, yeah, a detective show, it would normally have a conclusion of being like, oh, here we go, it's this person that pushed、yeah. that person off the yeah exactly yeah. And that's so interesting because that's so because we want the realism of a true crime story, but our like we've been telling each other stories for so long that we need them to hit certain beats, and if they don't, we like no, the story is broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's what makes it so kind of ethically complicated because these are m- real murders. Like people get murdered, and that's devastating and like、mm-hmm. life changing, obviously for the family members, the people who know and love that person. And then it's turned into entertainment.、Mm, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. And so often these kind of true crime media,、uh, whether it's podcasts or you know TV shows or books or whatever. They will kind of adapt what happened to make it into a story with a narrative arc, with like you know cliffhangers at certain episode breaks. And, oh、um, God, yeah, and things like that. And it's like, but it's not a story; it's an event that happened to a real person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've been thinking this for a while, and then I kind of I looked it up online, and there is there are people talking about it, and there are people saying like, well, like where is the kind of ethical line here? Because if it's reporting and if it's kind of being like, well, this is what happened, and、mm-hmm. you know, you deserve to know that because it's public information, and you know, if there's a murder in your town, 
yeah. you want to know about it. Yeah, like, yeah, partly yeah. to protect yourself and partly yeah. just to kind of, just because it's interesting, I guess. It, the thing is, it is. So actually, um, I'm in a weird position with this right now because there, uh, I live in South London and in my very small borough, there was a double murder a few weeks ago. Oh my God. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I won't get into the details now, but if you Google Deptford murder, you can get all of them. Um, and I was kind of vaguely aware of it, but then I went, um, I walked my dog one day and there's this girl that I'm friendly with because our dogs play together and we just kind of engage in five minutes of chat every couple of weeks. And it turns out that she lives in the same building. And she and she basically told me how like the police had been talking to her and asking her if she'd seen anything. And this is a really small building. It's like four apartments in here, in there. Oh my goodness. But it was amazing. As soon as like I'd had that conversation with her, it had gone from something that I saw posters about to a story I was suddenly in. Yeah. yeah. And I now see I've exactly told I've mean, told yeah. the story to so many people. I've got done the whole details about everything and like I've been telling it to people as if it was like something that happened to me. Yeah. In an almost like gross kind of excited way. I everyone just has that instinct with murder, yeah. I think. I don't know. Yeah. It's very strange. I think it is that kind of like it is that morbid curiosity and that sort of like uncanny like oh it's us but it's yeah. like slightly different. It's us because, but it's them. Yeah. Um, Cuz you're you're always into, interested in the motive. Like what, yeah. what drove somebody to that? Essentially, that's the thing. That's what what stops it from being a reported story. Like a man killed a woman and to like, well, why would somebody do that to someone they were married to? And that's yeah. when it becomes a story about people. Yeah. So it's really hard to know when that line becomes unethical, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. And it's weird how, you know, why do some, I mean, sadly, people get murdered every day in this country. Not very many, but... In every um, country, really. Yeah, in every country, yeah. But why do some sort of capture the attention of the press or you know yeah. I guess as well as the kind of line between when is it voyeuristic and when is it like a valid thing to do because you're reporting on a story and you're just kind of saying mm-hmm. what happened as well as that I'm like I got really deep into the kind of ethical line of the families themselves because obviously you know if there's a murder and someone decides they're going to do a true crime podcast about this they can get so much information about you and about the murder without even having to ask you about it but then I was looking at um serial and what's really interesting about that is that the woman who was murdered Heyman Lee her brother posted on reddit when he found out the podcast was out he listened to it and he posts on reddit saying look i'm not going to answer any questions about it because to me this is real life to you listeners it's another murder mystery crime drama another episode of csi you went there to see your mom crying every night uh, and going to court every day for a year seeing your mom weeping crying and fainting you don't know what we went through um and what was interesting about that as well is that he says in the reddit thread and it's been verified that it's him by the Reddit moderators, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, yeah, I've just been told about this podcast and I've listened to it. So they weren't informed about the podcast before it went up. Wow. Yeah, that's Which really is, bad. Seems so insane, Presumably they, right? were, they were contacted by Sarah Koenig, as in for interviews, right? Like, she contacted everybody involved in that case, so presumably. But clearly they didn't know how huge it was going to be. And he says in the Reddit thread as well, like, oh, my mum doesn't know about the podcast yet. I'm not going to tell her about it, which is really tragic because obviously she must know, she must have found out very quickly because it got so huge and so many people were really interested in it. But the family declined to be interviewed for it when they were asked because, you know, it's their real life. It's their sister, their daughter that got murdered. Yeah, Yeah. And also you don't know what what stance she's going to take because she was so hell-bent on proving that he didn't do it because what you know what yeah. a brilliant story that would be exactly and then that's and the whole thing as well yeah. about it being you know a story like which makes yeah. it sound like it's fiction and obviously if you're making a story then you're going to have some kind of spin on it and if she's only spoken to um, Adnan Saeed who's the guy who's in prison for mm-hmm. Heyman Lee's um, murder I think he, he might be out now actually he's not out but I think he his the case is being retrialed as a result of the podcast yes right. and if she's only spoken to Adnan and not anyone on Hay's side then obviously she's going to hear one side of the story and that's what she's going to end up presenting and then of course you get all these vigilantes being like oh I want to find out what happened. I'm really interested in this. And because it's been presented as a story, people see it as fiction. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the town where it happened and I'm going to poke around and I'm going to ask people stuff. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah like Teresa Halbach, the woman that was murdered in um, Making a Murderer. Like, See, even the way I've said that sounds like she was... She was, celebrity, she, was, yeah. she was murdered in real life, not just in Making yeah, a Murderer. Yeah, the, yeah. the woman, the murder that Making a Murderer was... Uh, based around, um, I think it was the debrief that did a 
I did a piece called, like, let's remember that a woman was murdered. Yeah, exactly. And her family and um, also Penny Bernstein, who was um, a part of that whole uh, case as well, both declined to be interviewed for it because... They don't want to have to reveal, like, their vulnerable Mm -hmm. personal, like, thoughts and their grief to someone who's making a podcast so it's going to get lots of listeners and they can advertise, like, you know, beds or something. Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Mailkimp. Yeah. So, but to, to, I mean, I completely agree with you then. The ethics thing is so thorny and strange. But to um, play devil's advocate, you could argue that, um, so when the Madeleine McCann case happened, which obviously hasn't really made it into the true crime world of things, but people were so captured by that case. Um, But also you could argue that that amount of coverage keeps it front of mind. Yeah, definitely. I think there is a a case to say that true crime podcasts can do good. For example, in cold cases, there are families that want their cold case. You know, if they feel like someone's wrongly imprisoned Mm -hmm. or someone's wrongly free for a which which was the reason why serial came to be because his family did believe that he was wrongfully imprisoned. Yeah, exactly. So then, from that perspective, you can see why they would be like, "Well, this is a good thing. We want to drum up interest. Mm -hmm. We want to potentially get a retrial, like like what happened with um, Adnan Saeed. Is he's now got a retrial because of that podcast? Because you know, maybe new evidence has come up and stuff like that. It's kind of." You know, if it is a cold case, you can almost see how it's a little bit more neutral because it's kind of like, oh, God, this was never solved. Mm -hmm. You know, fuck it. If these people want to drag it up and maybe they'll find something, then yeah. But if it's kind of like someone you know was murdered and this person is in prison for it and you think they did it, Mm. why on earth would you want to upheave everything and speak to someone that's trying to make it into entertainment, you know? And like you say, there's that really popular podcast um, where two ladies discuss... My Favourite Murder? And it's called My Favourite Murder. It's so weird, honestly. I listened to it a bit last night, but I've never really listened to it before. So I can't really, you know, judge it. But I went onto their website and they're selling T-shirts saying things like, um, stay sexy, don't get murdered. Like, as if it's a funny... As if it's yeah. just like a funny game. It's so weird because generally we're on the case of like, yeah, it's just the piss of everything and like feminism is silly sometimes and all this stuff. But it's just something really uncomfortable about just like... Yeah. Like, it's so weird. Yeah. And, and as well, in an overwhelming amount of cases, these people are women who are either the partners of the person who's murdering or the fucking ex-lovers, ex-girlfriends and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. And I just feel like when people bring it into true crime podcasts, they sort of like hang a little hat in it and like, oh yeah, of course, obviously, you know, domestic violence is a big thing, but this is fascinating, right? Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. A bit this like- is so cool. Even when you Google true crime podcast, the whole first page of Google pretty much is like, here's 10 true crime podcasts you need to listen to right yeah. now. Um, Along with like pictures of like whatever woman was murdered as a high school photo next to her dead shard body. And yeah, you're like, yeah. no man, no it's thanks. So weird. And there was a really interesting thing on uh ABC as well about the ethics of true crime podcasting and someone called uh, Rachel Brown was interviewed and she made a podcast called Trace but she got permission from the family she got permission from the son of the woman who was murdered and she said that she was tempted to go into detail she knew so much detail about what exactly happened in the murder but knowing the family meant that she felt more responsibility and it was really personal and that this is their life and then there was another thing that a um, friend of the podcast, Amy Jones, sent me. Hi, Amy. Uh, a BuzzFeed article about a woman called Jessica Chambers who was set on fire. Oh, my God. And died. And a load of people got really fascinated by her death because I think they don't know who did it. Um, and there's a Facebook group called Justice for Jessica uh, where people can kind of commemorate her and share memories about her and things like that. Um, and it's sort of turned into this weird true crime, like people trying to share information about it and people trying to find out stuff. And Lisa, who's Jessica's mother, is in this Facebook group and gets people messaging her, asking her questions about her daughter and oh asking her God. questions about what happened and who That's she was friends with. So and barbaric. All that sort of stuff. And it's just so... It's just God, so it's strange. Like Black when, Mirror. Yeah, yeah, when people sort of decide that this is their thing, that like they can be a vigilante and they can be a detective and work this out. Mm. I just find it really, really bizarre. So, um, yeah, this isn't a funny segment at all. No. <laughs> but but there's, it's because there's a lot of fiction as well about vigilantes that figure out a crime. Yeah, Search Party is actually a really good example of all of this. Basically, it's all about the ethics of like involving yourself in a narrative that has nothing to do with you because essentially you've got nothing going on in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just think it's really complicated then to think like, okay, so if... 
people are taking it too far, then how do you, if you want to listen to a true crime podcast or whatever, how do you do that ethically? Do you kind of only listen to true crime podcasts done by professionals who have an understanding of media law and ethics mm-hmm. and all of that like journalistic training? Or should anyone be able to do it? Yeah. I think it depends wow. because the, basically the ones that are probably ethically sound are very old cases that perhaps, you know, it's very much years and years ago and the case is closed and whoever did it went to jail and you can talk about that case and this is what happened. But that's not as interesting as, and we still don't know what happened and, you know, there's this side of it but there's that side of it. That's more interesting to listen to but at the same time it's completely unethical because, like you say, the family is still going, the family still don't have any answers and you're trying to dip your toe in it for a bit of fun. Yeah, I think what bothers me is like is just the way that a horrible crime and a tragedy is used for entertainment. Yeah. Like you would never have a podcast called My Favourite Rape. <laughs> I mean, that's in- yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Would you? No. You, you fucking wouldn't, Alex. Yeah. No. It's weird because we've talked about this a lot as a as a three dumb women like we seem to be the only collection of people in the this whole city who doesn't really care about murders yeah, yeah. like I feel like not that fascinated by them in terms of no. listening about them but I am going to google Deptford murders now oh, well home. yeah well there you go there's a nice gem for your commuter well Hannah that was incredibly deep and thought provoking and probably the most interesting segment in this whole episode so you've kind of disproved your own theory that <laughs> yeah. this was really interesting to talk about true yeah, crime yeah it is interesting to talk about murders yeah but they're still murders <laughs> and, and that's, that's the lesson yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we all know that the only reason we know other people is because we meet with them in small dark buildings at night and drink fermented fruit juices with them until we say things that don't make sense are we all agreed 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 however a few of us including myself and i believe caroline o'donoghue are partaking in dry january and you yourself might be doing so too so this week's smart lesson is about how to do dry January without losing all of your friends. Ah, oh. common problem. Yes. I've already lost five and it's only January 10th. Oh, and you've only got seven, haven't you? I know. Yes. <laughs> it's just you guys left. <laughs> Whittling fast. <laughs> you guys left because we have a professional responsibility toward one another. <laughs> is dry January where your jokes just get very clever and sarcastic and you say them in a very cool, smug way? Like me, the person. <laughs> uh, no, Hannah, dry January means no booze And for many people whose personalities subsist on booze, no fun Ah, okay, not even a Bailey's coffee No, not unless you want to shit yourself, no Oh, right Which you might do, because it gives you something to do while you're not drinking you Shitting know, yourself Shit yourself, you have to clear it up, <laughs> it's an ordeal That's like the length of a drink Yeah, exactly, that's one less drink, isn't it? Yeah Um So the point is, you do dry January, and all your mates who aren't doing dry January develop a temporary hatred towards you. Like me! Yeah! Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You've been trying to shove a vodka in my face this whole recording session. Absolutely, yeah. I actually have some handy tips that you can use in order to keep them in your life until February the 1st. Um, And I've found out that lying heavily really works. Yep. The secret is to die dry January is don't tell a fucking soul you're doing it because yeah. the judgment will come. Everyone feels offended and weird. Yeah. Um, just buy your own fucking drinks. Yeah. They all act as if they're, you're doing it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, uh, start asking everyone what the first signs of pregnancy are and then just sit there looking worried. Mm, very good. Then they yeah. will never question you. Yeah. And this is especially good if you don't really know the people you're out with. Perhaps it's like a work do or something. Just like take somebody you don't really know to the side, like an intern or something, and just be like, I'm pregnant, but don't tell anyone. And then they'll <laughs> feel really good that only they know. Aww, that's, that's good. Nice. Trust an intern with some high responsibility. Yeah, exactly. It empowers them to do more. And then they'll sort of like stick up for you if someone's like, why are you not drinking? And you can just yeah. sort of nod and wink at them. Yeah, and they'll be like, leave her alone. Mm. Yeah, exactly. The old uh, antibiotics is a classic as ah, well. Ah, the classic. Yeah. But most people have cottoned on that that's not really a thing. I know, it sucks. Yeah. yeah. But there is like one or two types uh, that you definitely can't drink on, so just Google that and then say mm-hmm. you're on that. Probably means you've got like some sort of awful skin disease or something, but, <laughs> mm. you know. Um, oh, hangouts with some Mormons, I found. Yeah. Um, I've got some Mormon friends and they, they never give a shit if you're not drinking because they don't drink. 
Great. Yeah, I've got a few non-drinker friends that I've picked over up over the last year or so yeah. as well. I don't know how they've done it this whole time. My friend Helen O'Hara, cool person, reviews films, travels the world, has never drank. Never. Ever. Never felt the urge, never liked the taste, never liked the lack of control, doesn't do it. Oh. And she has loads of friends. <laughs> Wow. Maybe she spent all of her time developing a personality. Yeah, she has. And that's why I think it can be a bit of a, a, a shock for those of us who's used to using booze as a crutch to get to know people to suddenly going uh, not on booze. As the non-dry January uh, in the room, may I suggest as well, if you do need to cheat for whatever reason, you could order a spritzer and then say it's by accident. No. Oh, I thought yeah. it was just tonic water. Oh no, well, I've bought it now. Gotta drink it. That's your get out clause. Yeah. I have one weird tip actually, which I found very, very useful. So pick one drink, right, that you really, really, really like that's hard to find. So I love I love stout and this is um, peanut butter stout that you can get some places, but not everywhere. Yeah. So I'm only allowed to have that one drink. And it's oh. it's only it's only in one in every ten places. So one in every ten bars I can have that. And then people are also like, oh, well, she's not doing full dry jan. She's yeah. just like restricting herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice to give yourself rules that control the fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Could one of them as well just be uh, tell your friends that alcohol isn't everything and that it's been so deeply woven into our society by drinks companies that now we don't even think about when we do and don't drink and rely on it as a social and emotional crutch. No, nah. you'll never get away with no, that. No, no, no. No one will invite you to their birthday party ever again. No. No. I'm uninviting you to mine as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Well done on making it through episode 30 of the podcast. Remember, as soon as this last bit is over, you can go to the pub and cry into a pint of orange juice. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do rate and review us on the Apple Podcast Store. It would be the best birthday present ever. Thanks to Harry Harris for our jingles, Gavin Day for our logo, and Soho Radio Studios for the recording space. See you next week. Bye. Bye. I'm drunk. (laughs) hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.